All right, well, the new series is called what? Do you know who we're studying? Moses. Moses. And the uh, title of the series is A Tale, A Story of Doubt and Deliverance. This is part five. If you missed any of the episodes so far, you can go on our app or online and you can uh, check them out. But you've missed a lot, tons. In fact, you shouldn't even be here because you've missed too much. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but you did miss a lot, so you can go back and you can find those online. And the, uh, the opening series in the life of Moses has been titled, Finding God's Plan for Your Life. God is the author of your life. He is writing a fantastic story. But if you don't know how to find his plan, you're going to miss out on so much that he has in store for you. Uh, and so here we are, Finding God's Plan for Your Life. And today the title is Encountering God. Uh, encountering God. We all long to encounter God personally. It's amazing when we hear about something he did in somebody else's life, but how do we encounter God, Uh, right? You're all wanting a personal encounter with the living God. Uh, I think even the coldest, hardest atheist would long for an encounter with the living God if he existed. I think they long for that, but they don't believe that it's possible. We want to encounter God, but how do we do it? Let's review first what we learned last week. In your bulletin, there's a little review section. You can write this down. See, I was a teacher before I was a pastor, so I know the importance of review. So review, write this down. Uh, Last week we saw first, we have to embrace our days in the desert. God will lead you to hard times. You have to embrace that because that is often when he's teaching you things about himself that you couldn't learn on the easy road. So uh, embrace your days in the desert. Next, Learn the reap-sow principle. Ask, how did I get here? Moses had a lot of baggage, and he had to learn from the past. Um, And so the reap-sow principle. And then expect to encounter God. That's where we left it last week. And now the whole sermon today is asking the question, how? Last week, Pastor Ryan talked about expecting to encounter God. But how do I do that? How do I uh, encounter God? In a moment, we will see the answer to that question. But let's pray before we get into God's word. Let's pray. Father, we believe you're real. We believe you are alive. And we believe that you have work for us to do. But help us to know where to find you. Help us to know how to encounter you. Just like Moses encountered you. Help us to know how we can experience the real, one, true, living God. Reveal your will for our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can open up to Exodus chapter 2, or I mean, I mean chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. You're going to about 1500 BC, uh, and we're in the middle of nowhere. So congratulations. We got in the time machine, and we stepped out, and we're in the middle of nowhere. It's 1500 BC, and Moses is having a conversation with a talking bush. Uh, it's on fire, and he's 80, so an 80-year-old guy's talking to a talking bush, and there we are. <clears throat> Um, we have a picture of the Sinai region. Can we put that picture up there? It, nothing had happened here of significance. So even though now, if you went to Mount Sinai or the traditional uh, location of it here, it's like a tourist location. There's like plaques. You can take selfies, right? It's business now. Back then, nothing. Nothing but a smelly shepherd in the middle of nowhere who used to be a prince. Now he's a nobody and a burning bush. There we are, Exodus chapter 3. Let me read up to where we studied last week. It says in Exodus chapter 3, 
Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's Sinai. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. That's as far as we got last week. And now, how do we encounter God? Well, let's read on. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Wow. Wow. Jot this down, number one, if you want to encounter God, serve his purposes. God has a plan. He's doing so much. He's not sitting on a rocking chair up there waiting for you to bring your plan to him. He is hard at work. He shows up and says to Moses, I see, I hear, I know, and I have come down. The Lord is inviting Moses to be a part of God's purposes. Understanding that God has a plan and he's inviting you to join him where he's working will help guide you as you seek to encounter him. Serve his purposes. And God doesn't just have a plan. He invites us to be part of it. It says here in verse 10, after God said all of these things, verse 10, come, I will send you. I will send you to Pharaoh. Uh Uh-oh. I think Moses really liked what he was hearing up until that point. I've seen it. Yes. I've heard it. Yes. I've come down. Yeah. And I'm sending you. What? Screech. Moses may have been wondering, like, why God was here. Like, God is talking about Egypt and all that's going on in Egypt. And Moses may have been feeling like, great, God, but you missed. Egypt is like, you know, several hundred miles in that direction. I can point you the way if you need help. But what are you doing here? Uh, I'm sending you. You. Uh-oh. God invites us to serve his purposes. And Moses' reaction, how does he react? Well, it says in verse 11, but Moses said to God, if a bush ever talks to you, don't talk back to the bush. All right, let's just, you can write that down. But Moses said to God, 
who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who, who, me? Me? What? Um, yesterday, Pastor Mark and I ran a half marathon. It was our fourth half marathon. And at the end of the race, we, we didn't run it as fast as we'd like because it was more hilly. It was, there were hills, and we weren't prepared for that. So we did okay, but there were plenty of people who finished ahead of us. So then, we were standing around after the race, eating our free cookies, right, which is why you do it. Uh, and, and then they got out the speaker, and they started announcing the winners. We'd like to announce the Prairie State Half Marathon winners. And we're like, ah, whatever. And then the guy says, the overall winner of the race is Ryan Hall. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and I had just a second to reason through this. I was like, I didn't finish first, but maybe everyone ahead of me was disqualified. <laughs> or maybe they made an error. Moral dilemma. Do I correct it or walk up there and accept my award? I don't know. Maybe there's some freak satellite glitch. I couldn't explain. Maybe it was a miracle. I don't know. And then, and then they said, Ryan Hall. And just as I was about to make my way up there, they said, from Chicago. And I was like, oh, I'm from Alsip. <laughs> sure enough, another Ryan Hall bounded up there. A lighter, younger, thinner, more athletic Ryan Hall <laughs> went up there to accept the overall award. And I was like... I was thinking to myself, can he prove his residency? Because maybe I can go up there and challenge it. Be like, no, 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 I'm the Ryan Hall from Chicago. You know, hand it over. But I didn't. Because you guys would find out, and then there would be drama. <laughs> I let him have it. But that initial shock, you should have seen the look on my face. I was like, huh? Like, this was my face. And, and I think when God said, I'm sending you, Moses was like, huh? You... You got the wrong guy. Me? See, and when God lays something on your heart, your immediate reaction might be, Nuh-uh. Not me. Who, me? Uh, Moses is like, I'm a nobody. I'm 80. Too old. Uh, I'm a shepherd. What? What? Now, you could argue that Moses was the perfect man for the job. Grew up in the palace. Probably spoke multiple languages. Knew all of the theology and history of Egypt. Like, like he is the guy, right? But, but he's a murderer. People want him dead. See, so he's kind of not the perfect guy. And God is bringing Moses back to his point of failure. I'm sending you back to do it. Who, me? And maybe you feel that way. What, what can God use me? I'm too busy. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too, I don't. And God, God has work for you to do. We are, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works to which he has prepared in advance. He has work for you to do. God gives Moses a wonder here, a burning bush. Here's a picture of the burning bush. I really like this one. Here's a picture. He gives Moses a wonder, something to get his attention. That's what a wonder is. There are many signs and wonders in the book of Exodus. One scholar makes this distinction clear. He says a wonder uh, is, is meant to astonish us and grip our attention. A sign is meant to instruct us. And so here's a wonder of the burning bush, something Moses would never forget. And God shows Moses the future, tells him the mission, 
And maybe God is laying something on your heart. Maybe you're feeling called to do something of the Lord. I remember when I was a teacher, a couple years after teaching, I was helping a new church get started, and there was a, there was a burden on my heart, a calling, a pull to pastoral ministry, and I didn't even really know what that meant. I didn't, I didn't really grow up in the church, and, uh, and so here I started processing that and talking with Lauren about it, and the Lord had to call me out of a job that I loved into ministry, but, but there was just this calling, this pulling, there was this, this whisper of the Spirit, like, this is what I have for you, and eventually I surrendered to that first part-time and then full-time, uh, so I went into full-time ministry in 2004, um, and then God, at four years later, he started, again, prompting, hey, it's time for more. Youth ministry isn't everything I have for you. And so then we stepped out by faith, and God raised us up to, to launch a church. Maybe God is calling you into ministry. Maybe he's burdening your heart for his church. Some people have a call into vocational ministry, whether it be missions, whether it be church staff, and uh, the, the Spirit will often be stirring that up years in advance, and don't ignore that. Some people, some pastors and missionaries can say from a young age God was whispering to them that he has something for them to do like that. But I want you to know that even though God raises up leaders, God also calls all of us to give our lives to his great purpose. You see, God's call in your life isn't just to do something special. His call is for his purposes to prevail every moment of every day. He made you to glorify him. He made you to serve his purpose purposes, wherever you end up, whether in the vocation of ministry or in uh, a secular job, whatever you do, he wants you to serve his purposes. He's calling your name to follow him, to give your life to his will. It's why you were born. It's why you're even breathing today, so that you can glorify God. The word glorify means to give proof that God has been somewhere or done something. That's the word glorify means to show off a God who has been somewhere or done something. It's the reason you live. To be living proof that God is present and he's worked in power wherever you go. We challenge people at Harvest to work for Christ. And if you work for Christ, you will encounter Christ. If you just live your own life, your own plan, and expect God to throw a few blessings on top of it, you know, that won't work. But if you work for him, you will encounter him. And God's inviting Moses into the work of the Lord here. God probably won't send you to lead a million complaining people 40 years through the desert. Probably won't be your assignment. But he's got work for you to do. He's got small and big things for you to do. And are you surrendered to that? It helps when you know how God has wired you. We cover some of this in step two. So if you haven't been to step two, you should go there. But check this out. This is a helpful tool called the shape tool. You see each letter on the left starts with the word shape, S-H-A-P-E. And if you know your spiritual gifts, that will help you find the place to work for Christ. If you know your heart burdens, like if you have a, a burden for, for uh, adoption, or if you have a burden for the nations, if your heart beats, uh, right, uh, to, to help women who are in distress, whatever your heart breaks for, uh, maybe your heart is more broken than the Christians around you, and don't resent that. That's God giving you a unique burden for something that the church needs to share. Uh, abilities, something you're able to do. Usually it's best to find a place to serve that matches your abilities. 
Okay, okay, 99% of the time, if you can't sing well, you're not going to be on the worship team. I can promise you that. All right, all right. Rarely will, will you be really great in an area where you have little ability. God will do that sometimes, but it's often best to go with the grain of your abilities. Next, your personality. You know, if you're an extreme introvert, you're probably not going to want to be on stage giving announcements, right? And if you're an extreme extrovert, you probably don't want to be alone in an office somewhere working with spreadsheets. So, so find a fit. Find something that fits who you are. And then your life experiences. Where have you been? What, have, what has your faith walked you through? What, who do you know? Like, what are your experiences? See, this is what makes you unique. This is how you are shaped to serve Christ and to serve his purposes. Um, Maybe you have some desire to perhaps become a leader someday. After church today, we have welcome to leadership. First, everyone's invited. Anybody can come and hear about how to discover where to lead. Welcome to leadership. It's right after church. But when you serve on a ministry team at church, when you support God's work financially, when you give your time and your energy in big and small ways, you're going to serve his purposes. You're telling everyone around you that it's not about me. It's about God. And don't think that, well, you know, I can't be like Mike Kiowski who just packs everything up and moves to Romania. Like, I can't do that. Okay, don't feel like it's all or nothing. Uh, There are little things and big things God will let you do. He'll open doors in front of you, but will you walk through them? We've got some guys training right now to go on a trip to Iraq. Just a week to help build their church. That's awesome. We sent guys down to Houston, right, to help with hurricane cleanup. There's little things that you can do. I'll never forget a story I heard about a guy named John Bechtel. In 1966, John Bechtel and his wife, missionaries, had a passion to reach the youth of Hong Kong. They tried to raise money, um, but none came, and so they started plotting out a goal and a mission. They found a a camp, 4.5 acres, that had a dorm that could house 350 kids. They had an auditorium for 450, an athletic field and a basketball court and a kitchen, and so they started asking people for help. The asking price of this camp was $240,000, and they had none. And so this really well-known uh, missionary went to the States and, uh, on his behalf and started trying to raise money. He said, don't worry, John, I've done this before. I'm going to get you all the money you need. And he traveled around for three months. And then he wrote John a letter and said, I'm really sorry. This has never happened before, but I, I couldn't get anyone to give to your idea of a youth camp in Hong Kong. He's like, all I got was a letter from a 14-year-old girl that I passed along to you. So John Bechtel opened the letter, and in it, it was written by a 14-year-old girl. She said, uh, Mr. Bechtel, I'd like to give you money for, so that you can buy your new camp. Uh, I've included my ice cream money of $1 that I had. 1966, she sends him, 14-year-old girl sends $1, because she heard about the opportunity, and she did what she could. John Bechtel, even though he was incredibly discouraged, thought, what if... What if? And so he went to the owners of this property. It was a failed orphanage. He went to the owners of this property, and and he said, I'd like to make an offer. And they said, all right. And he handed them the letter and the dollar. And and the guy laughed. And he's like, no, I want you to take this to the board. So he did. And they prayed and prayed. And three weeks later, they got a response. And the owners of this property said, we accept your offer. We will give you this camp for $1. Touched by the letter. Well, that was in 1966. Since then, over uh, the name of the camp is Soon Do Camp, Proclaim the Gospel Camp. Since then in Hong Kong, over a million youth have come to this camp. 
100,000 have written that they committed their lives to Christ. 100,000 at this camp. John Bechtel was traveling in the United States sharing all the wonderful things that God had did many years later. And at the end of a church service, a woman in her mid-30s came up and said, I'm the girl who gave you that dollar. Of course, she didn't write a return address or anything. She was 14. And John was blown away. And so he made, somehow got to bring her to this camp in Hong Kong so she could see. She had no idea what her little dollar went along and did for the Lord. And if you give your time, your energy, your finances, your resources to the Lord to serve his purposes, he will blow you away at what he can do through you. Who, me? You. Give him the chance. Number one, if you want to encounter God, serve his purposes. Number two, bring God with you everywhere. Bring God with you everywhere. How will God respond to Moses' objection? Who am I? Look at verse 12. God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So a sign is meant to instruct God saying, hey, you're standing in the place where I'm going to lead my people, which this is out of the way. It's out of the way. God's like, look around. I met you in the future. Here, there will be a million people encountering me. Behold. I'm saying it before it happens. I mean, the Success is promised already. But Moses says, who am I? Interesting to hear how God doesn't respond. What doesn't God say? When we bring our inadequacies to him, when we bring our shortcomings to him, when we say, but I can't, but I'm too this, I'm not enough this, what does he say? He doesn't say, oh, sure you can. You're good enough and you're strong enough and doggone it, people like you. He doesn't hold up Moses' resume and be like, you were raised in the palace. You, what does he do? I will be with you. Which is God's way of saying, you're right. Who are you? Amen. But I'll be with you. The truth is, God was sending Moses on a mission that was doomed to fail. Uh, Moses wouldn't get it done. Let my people go. No. Let, Let them go. No. Let him go or I'll kill all your firstborn. No. Moses would fail. And then God would make it happen. All right? And even after God makes it happen, still Pharaoh like changes his mind, comes to try and kill them all. So Moses, so Moses is not going to get it done. God's sending him on a failed mission. But God's like, I'll be with you. He promises his presence. Same is true for you. God wants you to bring him everywhere you go. That will be the secret to your effectiveness. I will be with you. The truth is, God proved his presence through this burning bush, but the bush was about to go out. I think things would go a little better if God let Moses dig up the burning bush and bring it with him in a wagon to Pharaoh. Behold! I think things would have moved along a lot quicker, right? He's going to burn the whole place down with this magic bush. He's a wizard. But no, the bush goes out, and God's like, I'll go with you. And, and Moses just by faith believes that God's not back at Sinai, but he's with him. And you will have proof that God is always with you, right? But he will manifest his presence at special times in special ways. He promises it all the time, but he shows you in special ways. You do have an obligation, though, to make sure God is invited wherever you are. 
God le- frequently God leaves room for the invitation. Why, why when Jesus was walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus and they walked toward the town, did Jesus act like he was continuing to go? I mean, if he's going to go to the town, go to the town. But he kept walking. Why? Because he was leaving room for an invitation. Oh, no, 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 come with us. And they had this strongly appeal to him. And finally, he went with them. And then what did he do? He gave them an even greater revelation. See, there's a room for you. There's room for you to invite God to be present wherever you are. God, at one point, when he was frustrated with the Israelites in Exodus, said, go on and I'll give you the land, but my spirit, my presence will not go with you. And what did Moses say? Do you remember? No. Unless you go with us, we won't go. Do you see God's presence? He wants it. He wants you to invite him to be present. Bring God with you wherever you go and you'll succeed and flourish. Not because of who you are. Jesus promised, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Bring him with you everywhere. This is touching on the um, omnipresence of God. He does this through his spirit in your life. He's always there. In the first point, we saw that God wants us to work for him. Then we will encounter him. And if you work for Christ, you'll encounter Christ. Now we see that God wants you to walk with him. when, when, When there's no bush, he wants you to walk with him. He wants to be invited to be present wherever you are. And he promises that he'll be with you. This is walking with Christ. And, and how is your walk with Christ? Because if you walk with Christ, you will encounter him. Are you bringing God with you everywhere to your marriage, out on your dates if you're dating and single? Are you bringing God with you to those places? Are you, are you bringing him with you to work? Why not? Tomorrow, let's make it bring God to work day. Bring God to work day. Get to work, say a prayer, bring God to work with you. Oh, God doesn't want to be around my coworkers. The way they talk. To, oh, yes, he does. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Bring him with you to work. Do you even do that or do you leave him at church on Sunday? You know, make, make him your most distinguished guest wherever you go. Bring him to college with you, right? Bring him with you wherever you go. Make him feel invited and loved and then you'll succeed. John Lennox is a very well-known scientist who teaches at Oxford University. He's also part of the Ravi Zacharias team of apologists who defends the faith. Here's a picture of John Lennox. He debates atheists. He debated Richard Dawkins twice. He debated Christopher Hitchens twice, and he just lets them have it. He's amazing. Uh, Phenomenal mind, awesome faith. He told a story at a conference I was at recently about when he was 19 and he arrived at Cambridge where he got his first PhD, first, uh, very smart, and 19 years old at Cambridge, and he meets a Nobel Prize-winning scientist who's an atheist, and they start having this conversation. What's it like for a 19-year-old at the beginning of his studies, longing to become a somebody in the field of science, talking to a Nobel Prize winner, right? It's like somebody who loves basketball, going to college, meeting LeBron. Here's John talking to this Nobel Prize winner, and they start talking about science, but John's thinking a lot about faith. And, and so John starts bringing up faith in God and how that ties to science. And this professor gets really uncomfortable. So at the end of this conversation, the professor says, John, why don't you come back to my house for a little while? We'll continue this conversation. And this Nobel, winning prize, Nobel Prize winner invites a few of his professor friends. So there, John Lennox and a few of these giants in the scientific field are there. And when they get John there, they sit him down. And this guy says, John, you have a bright future ahead of you. 
but you must right here and now give up your childhood faith. It will hold you back. All of your peers will excel ahead of you. If you want to be somebody in this field, you must leave your faith behind right now. Imagine the pressure. And imagine his greatest fear that he becomes a nobody. Wastes his future for Christ. And John looks back, and as he tells this story, he says, he says, in that moment, I knew this was a life-defining moment. And John's Irish, and so he's got this sweet Irish accent, and he's, he replies to this professor and says, uh, and if I do give it up, what will you give me in its place? And the professor responds by mentioning some atheist philosopher who John had known about and read. And he said, well, if that's all you got, I'll stick with what I have already. And he said, that moment put steel in my soul. He said, you can hear him saying that, right? Steel in my soul. And he said, the Lord has vindicated that stand. Because now he's, he, God gave him his dream. He is a, such a well-known scientist. Jesus didn't hold him back. And he's a defender of the faith. He looks back at that, though, as a 19-year-old and knew he had to make up his mind. Would he bring God with him to college or no? And he did. And he did. Hey, bring God with you wherever you go, wherever he sends you. You can bring him with you as a carpenter or a cook, whether you're a nurse or a nanny. doesn't matter if you're a missionary or a marine. You will choose whether you will bring God with you or you'll leave him behind. Bring him with you. Who am I? Who am I? God can't use me, and God says, I'll be with you. He promises to be present, but is he welcome in your life? God tells Moses the future before it happens. He has such great plans for you, but you've got to bring him with you. Number one, serve his purposes. Number two, bring God with you everywhere you go. Number three, believe what he has revealed about himself. You can jot that down. If you want to encounter God, <clears throat> you must believe what he's revealed about himself. Reading on, so Moses' first objection is, I'm a nobody. God's like, I'll be with you. Then he moves on to objection number two, uh, verse 13. <clears throat> then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is like, well, I, I don't really know enough about you to, to say it, things. There's questions I can't answer. Isn't this how we feel? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Um, <clears throat> Moses would repeatedly ask God to know more about him. Uh, there, there is going to be a gap that you perceive between what God's calling you to do and what you're capable of doing. Other ways this complaint can be phrased would be, I don't have enough faith. Right in the New Testament, remember when the guy said, in increase my faith. It Help me in my unbelief. And Moses is kind of like, I... I don't have all this nailed down yet. I don't know who you are. Who, who are you? I like when Moses says later, he finally asks for it, for it all. He says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. If I'm talking about you and representing you and serving, show me more. And that's, that's righteous. That's holy. That's good. Uh, you know the Bible welcomes doubters. And Moses was like, uh, he goes back to his father-in-law after this and he's like, let me go back to Egypt so that, it might find, so that I may find out if any of them are alive. He just talked to God. And he, he's wondering if they're all dead. All right. 
I'm really excited about next week and the week after that where we unpack this whole I don't know what to say. Um, at the end of next week's sermon and the week after that, two weeks in a row, I'm going to give time, like five or ten minutes, for Q&A, where if anybody has questions about the faith, you can ask me anything. And so, so bring your pagan friends who have questions for you that you don't know how to answer because we don't know what to say. And sometimes we don't have the words. And Moses is going to be like, I don't, I don't speak well. I don't, I'm not, I don't have all the answers. And so we're, we're going to realize that God welcomes that spirit. But, but we have to believe. What do we say? What do we say? We say what God has revealed about himself. Okay? God reveals himself to us. So what does God say? It says here in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. So God's giving him words. Say, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm going to be remembered throughout all generations. Uh, tell them the Lord has sent you. Tell them I am has sent you. So God responds to the appeal for more by giving a revelation of who he is. We learn here a bunch about God. We learn that he reveals who he is. Uh, we live in an age where people feel free to define God however they want. Like God is a bucket of Legos that you can put together however you want, and they act as if God has no feelings about how we define him. Let me just share from a human vantage point how offensive that is. If I decided to brag on my wife before all of you and say, I just love my wife. I can't get enough of her dark brown eyes and her jet black hair and her amazing Hungarian heritage that she talks about. I'd be on the couch tonight. All right? Why? Because my wife is 100% Dutch, blonde hair, blue eyes, and not a trace of Hungarian in her. Okay? So, so, What's the problem with me complimenting her? Uh, I was describing another woman, right? And if that doesn't work with your spouse, and just ask yourself, if your spouse starts complimenting things about you that aren't true, how you would feel? You'd feel like they're in love with another person. God feels that way. When you define God however you want and start making things up about him that aren't in line with who he's revealed himself to be, he's furious because you love another God. Never let anyone tell you. You can just make up anything you want about God, love that God, serve that God. God is furious. God will not accept anyone who worships another God on Judgment Day. All right? And nor would we accept anyone who loves another person in marriage besides us. We want the truth about ourselves to be loved, right? So does God. God has revealed himself, and he demands that we respond to that revelation. How has he done it? Because he hasn't done it for you by a bush, a talking bush. So how has he done it? Jot this down. Ways God reveals himself to us. First, wonders of nature. He's recorded in the Bible wonders of nature that show his essence, who he is, what he can do, his strength, He's displayed that, and we're meant to believe it. If you are anti-supernaturalistic, and you're like, I don't think miracles can ever happen, come next week. Get on the microphone and ask that question. I can't wait for you to ask that question next week. Uh, if you're like, uh, miracles, miracles, I don't believe that could ever happen, I'd love to have that conversation with you. 
Wonders of nature. Uh, jot this down. History. History. Miracles are rare. Uh, how many times has God talked through a bush in the Bible? Hold up. How many times God has done that? So God, miracles are rare. So if you're like a, I need a miracle a day kind of person, you don't even get it. All right, and, and beware of the person who talks as if miracles happen every day. Oh, God speaks to me every day. I hear him every day. No, you don't. All right, the walkie-talkie to God person is really, really confused about how God manifests his presence in their life. Because it's not miracle, miracle, miracle. Uh, he reveals himself through history. He talks about how he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's writing a long story. And the person who's like, well, God's never said anything to me. Like, open your eyes to history. Because this whole, like, I want God to say something to me right now, betrays how much he has said throughout history. Okay, don't be this, like, selfish, I'm going to sit here until I hear something. Look at what he's done in history. He's made promises. He's revealed himself. And if you're deaf to that, don't expect a personal appearance anytime soon. He's done amazing things in history. Uh, next, his word. His word. Uh, one guy saw the bush talk to the bush. A million people heard about it from a messenger. Here, here, let me share with you what God told me to tell you. Sure, there were probably people in that crowd who were like, well, if I don't see the bush, I'm not going to believe this guy. Who's this guy to tell me about God? You see, if you have this anti-authoritarian view where you won't let anyone be a mediator between you and God, I need to hear it for myself. I can't trust those Bible authors, those men who wrote down. If you're anti-messenger, where you won't let anyone speak to you on behalf of God, God won't say anything to you. I need to hear it from the source. Nope, it's not the way he talks. God wrote a book. He empowered imperfect people to write an authoritative message where it says, it'll say things like when the Spirit spoke through David. This is God's voice to you. And if all you will accept is God giving you a word, giving you a word, or worse, you're into, well, I feel like God told me this, you're rejecting the authoritative message, the voice of God. The, 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 this book, it says, is God-breathed. It's his voice to you. And if you reject the word of God, you reject God. What you do with this book is what you do with God. And you will be judged based on your response to what you're listening to right now. His word, he sends messengers. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. God's getting the messenger ready to share this with generations to come. And if you reject his word, you're not going to hear from God or encounter him. Wonders of nature, history, his word, write this down, his name. He reveals specific things about himself, his name. It says here, Tell them, I am who I am. And then he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. So where is his name? Well, that phrase, I am, and then the word, the Lord, that's his name. Uh, I am and the Lord, both are two forms of the same verb. So, so two phrases of the same name. I am is the first person singular, and the Lord is the third person of the same verb. He, he is, okay? Uh, now, when he says, I am, you might be like, it's an interesting name. Of all of the names he could have picked, I am. Uh, but 
he's the only one who can call himself that. See, because there was a time when you wasn't. Only God can say, I am. And it's always been true. He is eternally existent. He's never not been. Let that blow your mind. He's also self-existent. He just is. He doesn't need anything to make him. Everything in this universe has a cause. If you, if you tear the stars out of the sky and wrap up the whole universe like a scroll and throw it away so that there is nothing physical anymore, God still is. And he always will be. I am. Eternally existent, self-existing, only one who can say that. That also means that he's the cause of all existence. He preceded it. That also means he has authority over everything he's made. Bound up in his name is his nature, his authority. I am. So when he says, I am, it blows us away. Tell them I am has sent you. And then, he sa- then it says the Lord. Now what happened there is, do you see in your Bible where it says the Lord? That should actually be like all caps. Do you see that all caps, L-O-R-D? Uh, in the Hebrew, that's four letters, Y-H-W-H, which has been translated Yahweh. They don't write that, though, out of respect. So the Hebrew scribes wouldn't write the name of the Lord out of reverence, so they substituted the Lord, or a form of the Lord. So whenever you see that, that's the Bible being respectful of the name, but the name is Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh. So tell them Yahweh, tell them the Lord, tell them He is, has sent you. Same idea, different tense. God, the transcendent one who caused all that is and reigns over it, is his name. If you worship anything less, you don't worship the I am. How does God reveal himself? Wonders of nature, history, his word, his name. And then jot this down, the angel of the Lord, which is his son. This could be the whole sermon. This whole sermon could have been on his name. Um, But it says the angel of the Lord appeared in the bush. This angel of the Lord doesn't just speak for God. This angel of the Lord speaks as God. The word angel just means messenger, so don't think if it says angel, it has to be a created angel like Gabriel or Michael. No, the word angel just means messenger. And this capital A angel is one of a kind. The angel of the Lord shows up in several places, talks to Abraham. Uh, This angel of the Lord talks to Moses. This angel of the Lord showed up to Gideon, touched Gideon's offering and turned it to fire and then vanished. Then Gideon cried out in fear because he was afraid he was going to die. Guess why? Because he knew he just was confronted by God. Uh, Samson's parents met this angel of the Lord, and this angel of the Lord went up to heaven in the fire of their offering, and they fell on their face and said, we're doomed, because here's what they said, we have seen God. So they knew this angel of the Lord was a divine being. And here this angel of the Lord in the bush says, tell them I am has sent you. And then in the New Testament, Jesus almost got stoned because he said, before Abraham was born, I am. He put God's name tag on himself. We're supposed to kind of figure out who's in the bush. It's not that hard. Jesus was manifesting himself as a divine being in the Old Testament. The New Testament says this, Christ was the rock that accompanied the Israelites in the wilderness. So the angel of the Lord, best case you can make of who that is, is God's son. God's son speaks for God. God's son represents his nature. 
And therefore, in the Old and the New Testament, we have a God sending His Son, a divine messenger from heaven to earth, bearing the very nature of God and the message of God. And it says this angel was out front as Moses led the people through the Red Sea. This angel accompanied them in the wilderness. What do we have in the Old Testament? We have a divine messenger freeing people from slavery, leading them to a land of promise. That's the gospel. In the New Testament, Jesus comes down from heaven. I have come down. He said, I have come down from heaven, Jesus said. And he's there to save sinners, to rescue us. We have a heavenly person coming down to send us on his rescue mission, go and make disciples of all nations. The Old and the New Testament is the same story. God's Son coming down to rescue people from their bondage. But will you believe what God has revealed about himself? This is what it means to worship Christ, the one true God, to believe what you've heard. Only then can he use you. Only then will you encounter him. You want to encounter God? Number one, serve his purposes, work for him. Number two, bring him everywhere you go, walk with him. Number three, believe what he revealed about himself, worship him, worship him. I'm going to close out with a poem written by Charles Wesley, and we're going to invite up the worship team right now because we'll sing a song to close the sermon in a moment. But I think Charles Wesley's prayer really is a wonderful response to this truth. He says this, O thou who camest from above the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love upon the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze. And trembling to its source, return in humble prayer and fervent praise. Jesus, confirm my heart's desire to work and speak and think for thee. Still, let me guard the holy fire and still stir up thy gift in me. Ready for all thy perfect will, my acts of faith and love repeat till death thy endless mercies seal and make my sacrifice complete. I hope that's the cry of your heart. I hope you're asking God to use you, to show his glory to you. We picked a song out right now to close the sermon that I think really captures what Moses must have been thinking and feeling. He's overwhelmed. He's given a job he can't do. He needs the Lord to give him the strength and the peace. Maybe you feel that way. Let's all stand together right now as we sing this between us and the Lord.